Hello, I'm Annette, and thanks for listening to my podcast. Today, I'm interviewing my new friend, Brandy, from Canada, and I'm going to let her introduce herself because uh, she knows more about it, what's going on there than I do. So thanks for being <laughs> on this call, Brandy. Awesome. Um, well, my name is Brandy Heather, and um, my background is this. I'm, I'm an adapted phys ed um, specialist and a play specialist, which is an odd combination. Um, I started off in education and um, I've spent a long time, I, I spent a long time in post-secondary education, which here in Canada means our, our college level um, students, undergraduate students heading into university. I spent a long time teaching there, um, teaching students how to adapt their practice in kinesiology and sports studies. And uh, yeah, I'm now a, a business owner and um, I'm using play and the things that I know in adapting physical activity for people with disabilities and um, people of all abilities uh, to now change the practice of how people do business and, and education. So That sounds really fascinating to me. And um, I've, of course, I've seen you on the Zoom calls on the weekends. And you've always been <laughs> wonderfully fun and, and usually outside, which I really appreciate. And I do love the concept of play. Uh, of course, I'm in the world of education from a different angle. I'm not a formal educator, but I am involved in education on numerous levels. So, and I do believe the importance of play is huge. And I think in our system in the United States and certainly in Texas, we have driven so much of the play aspect and just the experiential learning out of it. And I think that's to the detriment of our students. Um, tell me how, how you see play as important in education. Well, it's interesting. We, we spend a lot of time in, um, you know, kindergarten to grade 12 talking to starting with teachers actually, and helping them to understand, um, fundamentally what drove them to be teachers and the parts that feel really playful for them still and teaching them how to combine that into their practice um, on the difficult days, um, on the days where it's really hard to find the thing that, that drives their practice. And we find that if we start with teachers that we can actually grow and change a school culture. So for us, us play means that moment in which when an, an educator of any type is doing their job, they are actually enjoying it so much that they lose track of time and the students become incredibly involved in it. And, and it doesn't happen maybe as often as we wish it did because those are huge learning opportunities um, for our kids. When they watch us enjoying what we're doing, um, they open up their minds to a whole bunch of, of different opportunities. And, and so play for us starts with the educator because kids actually, we can bring kids back to play to that, to that moment where they feel powerful and creative and innovative. We can help them come back to their way easier than we can help an educator, for example. Is the education system in Canada something that you really respect and think is doing a good job it's interesting i think i think our education system is broken in lots of ways and i i think that's probably internationally 
Um, uh, and, and I think because we continue to undervalue teachers, <laughs> to be honest, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, my, my specialization was adapted physical activity. I was, I'm a diversity and inclusion specialist. But we're asking educators who are teaching, you know, multiple subjects to be complex problem solvers in an area that they maybe took, maybe took two or three hours and maybe got a whole course on um, in their education. And I think we continue to make that job very complex and, and it, it, that's fundamental across the board. Um, we, the support for educators is, uh, you know, it's lacking. Teachers are so important and yet we don't raise them to the level in society that we should. Well, I think too, we've, you know, we've also asked them to silence themselves a lot. Um, we've asked them to, uh, not talk about the things that, uh, hurt them in the day that we've asked them to um, we've asked them to not discuss controversy and we've asked them to, and especially in inclusion, because that's where I hear their voice the strongest in what I do. Um, we've asked them a lot uh, to say, nope, that child doesn't cause me distress. Nope. That's just fine. And, and we talk a lot about that in our, um, in our work, it's called braving connection. And, and it really, really does matter that you surround yourself with a team of people that when you say, you know what, I'm really struggling um, with this kiddo or this problem, that we have a team of people that can both listen to us without their ego involved <laughs> and without um, fundamentally without an evaluation card that says you're a bad person because you you don't understand or don't connect. And I think we we need to help teachers in that process and play actually is where we can bring teachers to a point where they can really talk about that in a way that's safe for them. Um, and so I totally agree with you. Uh, the value of teachers can't be overstated. This is fascinating. And I'm enjoying this conversation on a very different level than I maybe even thought I was going to um, because our, our, our worlds overlap more than I realized. Yeah. Um, you and I have met through the podcasting fellowship by Seth Godin and Alex and um, reflect on that experience. We are now both graduates of that, even <laughs> if we're still working on, on our work, which I certainly am. Yeah. Um, well, you know, what has been amazing to me and uh, I I'm excited to talk about it because it, it actually, this podcasting fellowship uh, has been a fascinating introduction to um, what I would call not hiding our best known content. Um, so as an academic uh, in a university or college setting, we spend a lot of time hiding our best ideas because we are always afraid someone will steal them. Um, and then as a business owner, we're always, you know, hiding our best ideas so nobody can get at them. And as educators, we often are protecting our best lessons or, you know, our best moments because we want to capture that and we want to hold on to it and we're afraid to give it away. And this um, podcasting group, um, if you invest in it, uh, which is, you know, generously commenting on other people's work using your lens of expertise, 
what, what a difference in what you can get back, right? But, but we live in this world of scarcity where we're all very worried about giving away our best ideas. And uh, so this podcasting group, the fact that experts and, you know, semi-experts and coaches and, and all those people are willing to give, yeah, their expertise away in this space, that's a pretty powerful thing. And, uh, you know, can you imagine as an educator yourself, if all of a sudden we all, we all said, okay, I've got this expertise and I would love to share it with you and, and help you grow. And, and then I'm going to learn something from you and you can help me grow. But, but we don't do that because we really do work in scarcity in education across the board, kindergarten to like PhD. Well, yes and no. Um, and I certainly see your point and, and that, that drives too much of the system, unfortunately. But I do also see like this weekend, I was at a conference. Uh, I'm on a board called the Hope Center out of Philadelphia. And the focus is on food and housing insecure college students. And uh, this weekend was our real college conference. It happened to be in Houston this year. And the whole point there is sharing ideas and sharing your work so others can, can take it and adapt it to their worlds. And this movement has really grown in, in the U.S. through the work of Dr. Sarah Goldrick-Robb uh, at Temple University in Philly. And then the work in Amarillo at Amarillo College that we've been involved in in meeting the needs of our low-income students, it has just blossomed and taken off and it's wonderful to see other people adapting it and impacting so many more students so there is that angle we have we have tons of great examples and and just that feeling like watching you say that and hearing you say that that joy that we get from giving it away yeah. that that's what we need to capture because you and I both know uh, when we go to a conference and we hear some great thing like we are excited by, hey, that's what I can do. My, we need to ignite that feeling. And isn't that the point behind the podcasting? I mean, it is. Share our ideas with the world. So that's right. Use them. So that's great. Yeah. Um, in one of the chats, you and I uh, were talking about. Uh, you asked the question, "Do I need to keep my podcast along different lines, separate?" or, you know, in categories, but I think you were talking play and mental health. I was, yeah. And to me, don't those areas overlap? Oh, they do. And um, it's interesting what I was, um, I think the fundamental question for me was, I started to tell my mental health journey because it, it actually folded, it actually is, you know, totally, threaded within my play story um, and what has been the result of that and how I, how I now get to share that. So I guess what I was trying to do was, was thread those two things together so that people living with um, mental illness also felt, Hey, like we will, this will be the podcast that we can listen to, to say there will be play again. Um, so that, that is one of my drives. So mental health is certainly one of, um, my drives in my podcast is I, I want people with mental illness, um, and, and who are struggling with their mental health to be able to come to there and, 
feel, yeah, there are playful moments that I will find again, even in dark times. So that's one kind of goal of the podcast. The other side is this, you know, drive obviously to use play to make change. And uh, so, yeah, that was where I was wondering if, if I needed to separate those two things, but it's been so amazing. So I put into that idea into the podcast and we talked about it on Saturday. And now, you know, I really do see it's about naming episodes and that flow versus separating them as two separate things. It would be like separating the educator from my, my play, right? Exactly. And I think that's a beautiful way to look at it on, on using your journey. Is that something you want to share now? Yeah, no, no, I'm happy to share it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a long journey. I fundamentally, when I was a kid, I was really not diagnosed until oh, about 17 years old. I was diagnosed with um, depression, and and it was interesting because my mom, both my mom and my dad, had lived with mental illness their whole life, and had really not, I had not really heard of it. Like I, I didn't really know what that was. And, um, you know, I, I probably, I would have known that they might have seen psychiatrists and those kinds of things, but I would, it was never a part of my world. And so when I was 17 and, you know, struggling, uh, with depression and anxiety, uh, of course they had all access to resources and I, I took them in, but I never considered it a part of my family story. And then, um, and then when I had my first daughter, I had postpartum um, depression and it sent me into a major depressive episode. And it was the first time that depression had, you know, changed what I needed to do. And I, uh, you know, I had to take time off work and, and I was pushing to get tenure at that time. And, and so stopping was, uh, (laughs) stopping wasn't part of the processing or the plan. And um, so I fought it for a really long time until a, until like any other illness, you can't. And uh, so I recovered from that major depression and, and, you know, continued on and continued on and fought for tenure in a college position and, and tried to overcome that. And and about, my daughter was about six. And uh, yeah, I, I was, you know, on a tremendous amount of medication and and trying to, you know, level out being a teacher and a mom and a wife and, and all of those pieces. And, uh, I went back August for educators is right. As often educators know, August is like getting ready and prepared. And I was getting all my lectures prepared and I realized, holy, I can't, uh, I can't remember what I did last year. And I was struggling to find my notes and and so I, I kind of struggled through the semester, couldn't put words up on the board and and uh, yeah, I couldn't remember my lectures and I couldn't find my notes and and the way that I had always taken notes, of course, I didn't fill in any blanks. So I was spending up to, you know, three and four hours doing two minutes of work and eventually I had to, uh, eventually I had to say, hey, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. I'm not being good for my students. And uh, so I took time off and, and it happened to be at Christmas and by Christmas, I was very, very sick. Um, we had changed a whole bunch of medications and I was sick. And uh, yeah, um, by Christmas, I was, you know, having suicidal ideations and, and not capable of taking care of myself. And, and uh, January of 2009, 
I was uh, committed to a mental institution. <laughs> and in my, in my world, um, at the time, even though I worked in diversity and inclusion and I was, you know, I was talking the talk, um, you know, in my mind, I was, you know, being sentenced to something awful. And, uh, and anyone that you mentioned that to, it was interesting, it was always interesting, people's image of it was that we have, like, just down the highway from us, we have um, a place that, that, you know, we would have sent people who were mentally ill, and that would have been the nicest way we would have put it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I ended up there. And it was fascinating for me. It would have been the last place in the world I would have thought I found uh, play or myself, but uh, I, <laughs> I did. That's where I found it. Um, and I found out that the things that made me truly playful art and, um, you know, connecting in ways that I hadn't for a very long time uh, were actually there. And people there, uh, you know, as much as, um, you know, I can tell some really funny stories. Uh, and, and I will. I think that's part of my podcast is to tell some of these stories from from inside a place that people, I, I think, have a real sense of dread for. Yeah. Um, and yet that's, that's where I found it. So when I uh, was released and I went back, I you know, was off teaching for about nine months. And, and then I went back and I ended up teaching again full time um, from a place where most people would have said you never come back from. So yeah, that's, that's the short and long. That's a great story, Brandy. And <laughs> so play really was part of your, your recovery then. It was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Fascinating. Well, yeah. I've been involved here in a regional developing a regional behavioral mental health initiative. Um, and I'm, I'm personally interested. I was interested and brought in because of the kind of community work I do, but suddenly it became very personal uh, with a family member who, who took his yeah. own life. And so it's, it's, it's something that's everybody is involved in or, you know, has somebody in their family who, who has similar challenges. And I'm glad you're, you came through and, yeah. and, and are doing well now, it sounds like. And yeah. tell, tell me more about your business now. Okay. Um, well, it's funny because um, Amp to Play is our business and it, it, uh, it really started off as, so Amp is active movement potential education. And so what I really wanted to do fundamentally was get people's brains and bodies and um, social movement going again through what I understood. I already knew worked because it, it worked in teaching post-secondary students and it worked in running my own, you know, nonprofit uh, program for kiddos and their families with disabilities. And so I, I had, I thought I had a process that worked and, um, but I'm not a business person. So I, the partnership came with um, my partner down in, in Calgary, um, in Cochrane, Alberta, actually. And uh, so my business partner is uh, Ozzy Sawicki. And he actually was a representative. He was the coach for Canada's Paralympic um, Alpine skiing team and um, an advisor to the equestrian team. So he's very high level in the international Paralympic um, movement. And, and he was a business person. And so 
uh, I kind of came with the play and we both kind of came with this fundamental, we need to change systems thinking. And uh, that's how Amp to Play came together. And now, um, you know, we're just, we started in 2017 and, and we're really making, I, I think we're disrupting the way that people see certainly diversity and inclusion because we're doing it in a way where um, our programming and the, the things that I teach fundamentally would disrupt the way people think about the seriousness of, of diversity and inclusion because we, we go into major corporations and we, we use play to change how they think about things. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, so when you go into a major organization whose bottom line is profit and they do that through customer service and we go in and say to them, um, okay, today what we're going to do is uh, I might put a ball of clay in front of them and all of them might say, oh my goodness, like what are we paying for? They're going to question, uh, they're going to have all sorts of judgment and and you know worry oh my goodness what if i have to do something with this piece of clay i'm not an artist i'm not this i'm not that and in that single conversation we can actually pull out about 80 percent of what's happening within their workspace about judgment and bias and right so we actually use play to uh because it is frightening for many um, and the thought of being unproductive or doing something they didn't get their money's worth for. Um, we can actually start the conversation on how diverse ways of thinking about things actually change the way systems work. So we're doing a lot of that. Educators are um, so fun uh, because educators in schools are ready uh, for something different and to be shook up. And so we do a lot of work with schools and school districts who say, you know, we have this diverse population of students and we, we're not sure how to connect everybody together so that we feel like we're on the same platform. And, and when we give them a, a kind of playful center to come from, instead of this kind of shame filled, you're not doing it right. You didn't say the right thing. Um, you know, you're not seeing it the right way. Uh, it really does change what happens in the hallways and, and it's starting to change what happens in the hallways of, of major corporations, right? That I love this because yeah. a lot of my work is around uh, poverty yeah. and the judgment there is what holds so much of our progress in connecting back. And uh, I would love to see this applied in a similar way. And, and certainly, you know, the diversity issue is, is, you know, an issue across the U S and certainly across Texas and our changing demographics. It's really, um, challenged some people to, to really be inclusive. Yeah. Sadly. So, uh, this is fascinating. I want to, I want to <laughs> watch you do this. <laughs> Well, it's funny because when we talk about, um, you know, I think we talk about diversity and inclusion training and people are like, oh my goodness, I don't want any more of that. Um, and uh, what we're finding is actually, we've got these advanced <laughs> policies and procedures for diversity and inclusion. And we haven't really asked people, 
what scares them about difference. Um, you know, we, we want to say, you know, what, what scares you about people with disability or what scares you about LGBTQ community or what's, you know, we, we silo it. And actually, if we go back to the center of what, what your hesitation is when you walk past someone on the street who is living uh, in homelessness, um, that's actually because that person is, is in a different situation than you and you have a judgment about that. That's, that's no different than somebody who is from a different country or someone who moves differently or thinks differently. Um, we have to go back to why we're, why are, why is fear our, our go-to? Like, exactly. yeah. so that's why we get to play. And where are you, Brandy? I'm, I'm in Alberta, Canada. So if, if Vancouver and, and British Columbia are on the coast, um, we're on the prairies and I'm kind of in the middle of Alberta and I'm in a, a town called Red Deer. Great. What's the, what's the weather? What's the... <laughs> oh, well, we just got our first dump of snow. So um, right now I'm looking out the window and there are two inches of snow on my deck, but that wasn't there like three days ago. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's and how is it where you are today? It's balmy and 78 degrees uh, <laughs> Fahrenheit, yeah. which is cooler than it's been because we had a blistering summer in the hundreds, uh, mo many days. So yeah, I'm thankful that fall is coming, but we, <laughs> we did have snow in the mountains, you know, in, in New Mexico I've seen, but, yeah. uh, and we do get snow where I am in Texas, up in Amarillo but uh, not yet. <laughs> and does, does fall like, does fall look like changing leaves in that to you or, or is that? Yes. Yes. But yeah. we don't have the color very, you know, we have a lot of yellows more than the reds and yes. oranges. Yes. Because of the frost. Yeah. But, yeah. but not, but we will have, I mean, we'll get down below zero in the yeah. winter. So, well, Brandy, it has been really delightful talking to you, and we need to connect and we need to connect. contact information. So, yeah, absolutely. Thanks a bunch, and thanks for being on my podcast, and best of luck to you and your business and your podcasting journey. <laughs> thanks. We, uh, we'll follow each other. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Annette. And thank you for listening to Annette on Education.